Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. We thank God for our praise team. Amen. Let's give God praise for them. Amen. It's good to laugh in church, as Sister Nikki said. Amen. Amen. We thank God for all that for all that He's done thus far. We thank God for our visitors. Amen. Amen. You could have been anywhere else on a Sunday afternoon, but we give God praise that you thought it fit to come and fellowship with us. Amen. Amen. I thank our brothers. Amen. Our brother Rick for holding it down. Amen. Rick went old school with the with the welcome, didn't he? That's old school church when you go around and pass the mic around and make sure everybody says something. Amen. But we thank God for the loving spirit of each and every one of you. Amen. And we thank God for all that he's already done in this place. Uh, I'm going to ask if you'll turn with me to 2 Timothy, the first chapter. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Your version may read slightly different, but uh, whatever version you're reading from, uh, just feel free to please read along with us. Once again, 2 Timothy, the first chapter, verses 3 through 7, and it reads as follows. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Amen. You know, when we turn on the news, we see so many things going on in the world. Amen. Um, you know, for the past few months, we've been hearing about the war in Ukraine and it can impose uh, fear and uncertainty um, as you look at uh, what's going on and the role of our country and what we will do, what we won't do. It's uncertain times. Um, even, you know, yesterday, many of us heard about the shooting in, in Buffalo. And, um, you know, to say a young man, 18 years old, took the time, drove hours to a predominantly black section of the, of the city and killed 10 people. Scary times, fearful times. Uh, but we don't have to even look at what's going on in the world or look what's going on up the country. We can look right around in our very own communities and we see things that have been going on, and it's, it's fearful times. Um, young children getting killed and shot on the street corner, it's fearful times. We um, see what's going on in our schools. Teachers uh, sometimes don't even want to teach anymore, teach our young people because of fear. Um, and sometimes even as a believer, it makes us wonder 
Lord, what are we supposed to do? What is our stance? How can we combat our emotions? How can we combat the fear that we see going on around us? And sometimes even in our very own lives, because truth be told, yes, things are going on overseas. Things are going on in our nation. Things are going on in our neighborhoods. But sometimes in our very own homes, in our very own lives, we have situations, circumstances that we say, Lord, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But God, all praise be to him that he gives us his word. And we'll look at in his word how he implores us, the church, to one, lean on our faith to sustain us in times of uncertainty and times of fear, but also that we can lean on community to support us in times of fear. So if I may take for a subject on this afternoon, faith over fear and the benefit of community. Faith over fear and the benefit of community. Let us pray. Precious and all wise God, we give your name all the praise, all the glory and all the honor. We just thank you, Lord, for you are good. We're thankful, Lord, that you are the true and living God, and we bless your holy and matchless name. As our sisters were singing, Lord, we are just so grateful for your loving kindness towards us. We're thankful, Lord, because it's you, Lord, that we lean on each and every day. And even now, Lord, we're leaning on you for your word. So we pray, precious Lord, that I might decrease, that you may increase, Lord, that What is spoken is not my thoughts, not my opinions, not my wants, and not my desires, but let it be your word of truth, your word of strength, your word of power, your word of faith. We give your name all of the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we look at 2 Timothy, many of us may know it's been written by the Apostle Paul, written by his friend in ministry, his missionary companion, Brother Timothy, who he calls the son, his son in the gospel. And uh, many of us know that we are studying the book of 1 Timothy in our Bible study. So um, as Rick gave the invitation, if you're free on Wednesday at 7 p.m., come on by and we can study the book of 1 Timothy together. Um, but as we're studying in 1 Timothy, we see that Paul left Timothy in a town a Roman province called Ephesus, and it was a, a town that, like, it was a Roman province, and uh, being that it was in Rome, there was so many things that were going on around that area. Rome, Rome uh, they believed in many different gods. They believed in pleasure of the flesh. Uh, if, you, if you like it, go ahead and do it. And here is Paul encouraging Timothy to strengthen the church that is there. So in 1 Timothy, he's giving Timothy, in 1 Timothy, Paul is giving Timothy instructions on how to lead the church and uh, encouraging him how to conduct himself and stand against false teaching and doctrine. And here in the second letter, we see some of those similar things. There's still false teaching going on. There's still false doctrine going on. But another thing that's even more uh, precarious is that Paul writes this, from a Roman prison, and not just some nice prison, but he's actually being scheduled for execution. 
He's soon to be put to death. So this letter is almost like a, uh, his final thoughts and instructions to Timothy to, to hold on for the sake of the gospel. We see that as we study this book that there are those that deserted Paul. We see that there are those that are challenging his credentials, challenging if he even serving the right and true God. And all of this, I can imagine, will be devastating news to Timothy. He sees his mentor, he sees his father figure was about to die. Not just that, but he's scheduled to die for the same belief that Timothy had, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Additionally, we see that Timothy was a young man and he himself would probably face challenges here at Ephesus. He now would have to contend against false doctrine and false teachers. He would have to deal with the things that were going on and around the city with the, the, uh, so much, some of the same things that we deal with here today, the love of money, false religions, the appetite of the flesh. I can imagine that Timothy as a young leader, taking all of this into account, may have had to wrestle against fear, may have to wrestle against doubt, wrestle against feelings of being overwhelmed. But we'll look at and see that in these few verses alone, how Paul encourages him through faith and encourages him in community. When we look at verses 3, right at the beginning of the verse, Paul starts out by giving thanks to God. Now, you would think, and some of us may think that in light of his current situations, his circumstances, that if we were Paul, we would be having a pity party. We're in jail, we're alone, they said we're going to die, and you know how it is when you're having a pity party. Oftentimes, you don't have a pity party alone. You try to bring in those around you and have them have pity as well. So it would have been understandable for Paul to try to suck Timothy in and say, bro, we're going to die. Run, hide, whatever you're going to do, just don't stay where you at because they got me and they coming to get you next. But Paul does the opposite. Right off the beginning, he says, I thank God. He shows his gratitude towards the God who he serves. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18 tells us, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You can see that this is to be a steadying hand to a young brother. That in spite of all you may have seen or heard about me, despite what you're hearing about what I'm going through, I'm still giving God the glory in my current predicament. And my current predicament does not dictate whether or not God is good. Because he is good and all the time. James 1 and 2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So Paul was meeting trials. Timothy was witnessing these trials. And here we have Paul trying to be that steadying effect so that Timothy can go forth into ministry and go forth doing the will, the will of God in his life. He continues this steadying effect 
and in these words by not only just thanking God, the God who he serves, but he points out, as did my ancestors. These few words are an implicit response to the attacks that Paul had against his ministry. But we see that he was, uh, Paul was having attacks against his apostleship, that he was having attacks against his testimony. But Paul is telling Timothy that, yes, I do and I still serve the true and living God, Jesus Christ. Not only that, but he's the same God of, the, of my ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was the one that was prophesied to come by the prophets of old. So while some were looking around for the Messiah to come, he's saying that, hey, the God that we are serving, he did come. His name is Jesus, and he is the Christ. And he further gives encouragement by letting Timothy know that he serves him with a clear conscience. Not saying that he dotted every eye, not saying that he crossed every T, not saying that he was perfect. But he's saying that it was through God who did great, who did great things. It was God who did great things. And though his current situation may have caused others to run and abandon the faith, that he has no regrets in his current condition. He has no regrets because he is serving the true and living God. And through all of this, even if he would be to be thrown in prison and to be executed, he knew that God would still get the glory. He doesn't have to and will not attempt to make Christ something that he is not, which we see many people doing today. Some people say if you come to, to Christ, uh, you know, all your problems are going to disappear. If you come to Christ, you know, money will come to you now. He's not saying any of these things. He's saying that, yes, that, that there's still going to be problems that you're going to have to face even more so because of the name, and, name of Christ. But he says Roman, in Romans 8.28, Paul says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. A few passages down in Romans 14, he says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Paul was once again studying Timothy, that in his life he glorified God. And so likewise in his death, he wanted to make sure that God would get the glory. So after these few words of calm to show how, God, how, show how good God is, he now turns his focus on Timothy. He says he prays for him consistently and constantly. Ephesians 6 and 8 says, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That means we should pray for each other all the time. James 5 and 16 says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed, because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So Paul right here is showing us the benefit of praying one another in community. But not only that, he's saying that he sees and remembers the tears that were coming from Brother Timothy. He's showing his great care. Or he's showing how he cares greatly for his brother. 
Philippians 2 and 4 says, let each of you, let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Ephesians 4 and 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And let us not forget Romans 15 and 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We see Paul as the mature brother, the older brother. He's steadying the nerves. He's steadying the, he's, he's, he's bringing all of those things that could be uh, looking to plant fear in Brother Timothy. He's slowly building a case to calm him and settle him into, so that he can see that not only is God good, but he, we have each other and that we can strengthen one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We see the benefit of fellowship. We, when we come here on Sunday afternoons, we, there's a benefit of us coming together. We shared many laughs on this afternoon, and it was a benefit to some of us, to, to most of us, I would hope. Amen. We have Bible study. We have uh, men's pod groups and women's pod groups. And the hope there is that we can fulfill Proverbs 27, 17 that says, iron sharpens iron. That we can help encourage one another. Romans 12 and 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So in all of these verses, we see Paul reminding us the benefit of having a community to support each other, especially in trying times. We should encourage one another. We should pray for one another. We should look for ways to serve one another and lift each other up. We should long to be together. But not only that, we should recognize how blessed and fortunate we are to know that we have a body that has us on, our, on their minds. We have a brother and sister that is praying for us. We have someone who thinks about us, who cares for us, who calls us up and just gives us words of encouragement to strengthen you. And then when we're not together, like I said, we, we, we can have that assurance that someone is just a phone call away, a text message away. There's a benefit in having a community of faith that can strengthen one another, especially in times of fear and, and perilous times. And so that, that transitions us from a community of encouragement to a community of faith. When we see in the fifth verse, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul writes how he's reminded of Timothy's sincere faith and how faith was something that was in both his grandmother and his mother. You may remember when Paul met Timothy, they mentioned his mother in Acts 16 and 1. And it says, when Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now that's, if I ever heard the expression, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. That's it right there. They go on about how his mother was a believer, 
But his father was a Greek, and they just ended right there. So we can see that it's implied that Timothy's father was an unbeliever. But we see that it was his mother and his grandmother that were both believers. And in that, we see the importance of community also at home. We see that uh, later on in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul mentions that Timothy was taught and raised in the scriptures. So it's important for us to teach our children. But while we can teach doctrine with words, we can teach Bible stories with words, we can teach the meaning of scripture with words, teaching the faith is something that goes beyond words. It's displayed in our actions. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It reminds me of conversations my wife Natasha and I have had as parents, and many of you as well, I'm sure. You know, you hope for your children to have better lives and childhoods than, than you had, right? And so many times as what we would do as parents, we would shield our children from things that we know aren't good, things that will harm them, and that's a good thing. There are things that our children should not be exposed to. There are grown-up conversations that they should not be privy to. But in terms of living out our faith and hope in Christ, we should share and be more open to walk out our faith, not only in front of our children, but in front of others, so that we can see how important it is that they can know that it is not our strength, not our might, not our intellect, but it is the Lord who has kept us through dangerous seen and unseen. And it's something that we should do in our homes. It's something that we should do in our community. See, we may look like we have it all together, but no, it's not us, but it's our faith in Jesus Christ that has kept us. See, this ties back to the verse in to the verse in uh, in uh, to verse three when he said that it was our Jewish forefathers that 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 it was the faith of the Jewish forefathers that gave them hope that there was a coming Savior, even though because of their disobedience they suffered through captivity, they suffered through destruction, but they still recognize that the Lord is faithful. Lamentations three twenty one says, "But this I call to my mind, and therefore I have hope." It continues on, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Habakkuk 2 says, behold, his soul is puffed up and upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Then it's continued on that it was the faith that, that Lois had, the faith that Eunice had. It's that same faith that likewise that is in Timothy. And when we look at this, we are reminded of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that one man may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It was through us turning away from our sins and repentance and turning to God with saving faith that now we are born-again believers. Now we are the sons of God. Now we are true heirs of salvation. Paul was reminding Timothy that while Lois and Eunice and their faith were important, 
He wanted to make sure that Timothy likewise knew that his own faith was sincere. He was not living vicariously through them, but he had his own faith in Christ that was true and it was genuine. One of the things we often hear when we're on the block and the conversation of faith in Christ comes up, someone will say, oh, my mother or my father, they were preachers, they were evangelists. We say, hey, do you know about Jesus Christ? Yeah, my grandfather was a deacon. Uh, we just say, do you, do you have a church background? Yeah, my grandmother was a missionary. They say, I've been around church all my life, but that's not enough. Having it around you is not the same as having it in you. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, and their faith and what they did in the church cannot save you. We have to have our own saving faith. There's an expression that the old church used to use that says God doesn't have any grandchildren. What he has is sons and daughters, and their faith needs to be their own. So Paul is telling Timothy, look, son, I know your faith is genuine, not like those who deserted me. They saw troubles and ran. They were in it for themselves. They were in it for what they could get. They were in it for what they could get at the moment. And when times got hard, they, they packed up their bags and ran. But I'm reminded once again that it, the scripture tells us that the righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back his soul, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we need to have faith that can see us through. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And that's how we should be in community. We should encourage one another to draw, to lean on our faith. When times are uncertain, uh, encourage someone to trust in the Lord. Not that he's going to give you everything that you want, but as you lean on him, he will keep you and give you everything that you need. He will give you what you need to, 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 to be sustained in troubling times. He will, need, he will give you the peace and calm that you need in fearful times. And most of all, he will give you brothers and sisters that will come and, pr and pray for you and encourage you and strengthen you even when times seem dark. And then as Paul continues on, he says, look, I know you have faith in you. And for this reason, I remind you in verse 6, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. James 2 and 14 says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can faith save him? He continues on in verses 17 and 18, says, so also by faith, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. Paul is reminding Timothy that, yes, you do have faith. But now you should put your faith into operation. Put that faith into action. And you do that by fanning the flame of God's gift that is in you. How does he know that it's in him? He says, I know it's in you because I laid my hands on you myself. So I was not putting it in you, but I was validating that, yes, what God gave you, it's in you. We see the benefit of community through spiritual leaders, recognizing our giftedness, encouraging us to use our gifts for God's glory. 
Paul doesn't say what the gift is that Timothy has, but it's it must be obvious to Timothy what he is referring to. But whatever it is, he encourages him to put it into action. The King James Version says, stir up the gift. The English Standard Version says, fan it into flame. The New American Standard says, kindle afresh the gift of God. You see, when you light a fire, it may burn for a while, but eventually a fire will die out. So in order for us to continue that fire to burn, it needs to be, continued. It needs to be kindled. It needs to continue to be worked. So Timothy, even though times are looking tough, even though the ch things in the church are getting hectic, rather than draw back and pull away or run away and hide, he's saying, Timothy, I encourage you as a good leader to not be complacent, but rather use the gift that God gave you and make sure it's continually used so that the flame, that fire that is in you will keep on burning. Because what you have is not your own. It's not our gift. It's a gift of God. And what God has given us should be used for his glory. So therein begs the question, some of you may ask, well, what gifts do I have? Well, I can say that if you are a born-again believer, the first gift that you have is the gift of salvation. We looked right at it in Ephesians 2 and 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is what? It is the gift of God. For our, we see that our salvation is a gift, and it's a gift that we should use for his glory. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So our salvation is a gift. Our life and salvation is a gift to, that was given to us from God. It is not just so we can just get saved and sit down, but it's the only just the beginning so that we can be used for the glory of God. So then some of you say, well, okay, I do have the gift of salvation, but then what other gifts do I have? I, I, I employ you. We don't have the time here, and Natasha will get me if I go through all these scriptures here. But 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, they teach us about the different gifts that each of us can possess through the Holy Spirit. But whatever gifts you may have, and you, after you read those scriptures, when you recognize the gifts that you have, use them for his glory. And see, that's where community comes in. We affirm and recognize the giftings of one another. We don't get envious. We don't get jealous. We don't say, I wish I had that. We recognize that we have our own gifts. They have their own gifts. And like Paul, we encourage one another to, to use them for his glory. He tells Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 4 and 14, do not neglect the gift that you have. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that we may all see progress. So in crazy times, we need each other's gifts. We need uh, to encourage one another to use each other's gifts. Things were crazy when Paul wrote this letter to, to Timothy, but yet Paul was using his gifts to lift up a fellow brother to use, likewise, his own gifts. Our gifts are for our own benefit. They are to be used for the glory of God to the building up of his church. Hezekiah Walker had a song that said, I need you, you need me. We're all a part of God's body. Here we are in community. We likewise need one another. We need the gifts that each one of us possess. So as 1 Peter 4 says, 
As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We need each other. We need each other's gifts. And the great thing about it is that the gifts that the Father gives us, they're good gifts. James 1 and 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Matthew 7 and 19 says, 7, 9 through 11 rather says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So the gifts that he gives us, they're good to be used to his, for his glory. And one thing that I love about this, when we look at verse 7, he says, he didn't gift us a spirit of fear. Doesn't mean we don't have fear sometimes, but he didn't gift that to us. And when we look back at the ancestors that Paul referenced earlier, we, we lift them up as great men of the faith. Abraham, a great man of the faith. Moses, a great man of the faith. David, a great man of the faith. But guess what? They each experienced fear. Jesus, powerful di disciples. They healed sick. They performed miracles. And guess what? They experienced fear. And not only did they just experience fear, they did crazy things sometimes because of their fear. But Paul says he didn't give us a gift of fear. But then what did he gift us? Paul tells Timothy that rather than gifting us a spirit of fear, he gift us power. He gives us a gift of love and he gives us the gift of self-control. Once again, gifts not for our benefit, but gifts for the benefit of others. When we see that he has gifted us power, Acts 1 and 8, Jesus told the disciples that, when you will, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we have power to be a witness. We have the gift of love. Romans 5 and 5 says, uh, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then 2 Corinthians 5 and 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And see, that's the amazing thing when we look at these three things that Paul brings out, power, love, and self-control. Because it was through power, love, and self-control that we, the church, have received salvation. You see, mankind in our own, we were sinful and disobedient, separated from God, and we deserved his wrath. But we see God exercising perfect self-control, holding back the punishment that we deserve. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave his son to take the punishment that we so deserved. He took the lashes and the stripes that we so deserved. He took the nails that we deserved and was crucified for our sins. 
He could have came off the cross. He could have called down legions of angels, but he took the punishment and he died. And when God wrote, when he, when God raised him from the grave, he was risen with all power, power over sin, power over death, all power in heaven, all power in earth. So we see love in Jesus Christ's sacrifice. We see self-control in his sacrifice and we see power in his resurrection. Romans 8 and 15 says, for we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but what we have received, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So as the Lord operated in power, love, and self-control to bring us salvation, we have his spirit not just to keep us, but to be a blessing to one another in community. We as a community have the spirit to be witnesses and testimonies as you were doing on this morning to spread the gospel message to our neighbors. We see the benefit of community when times are good or bad. We see that when we're going through, we have community that can encourage us. We have community that can pray for us. We can have a community that can draw and that can encourage us to draw and lean on our faith. We have a community that can encourage us to put our gifts into operation. And just as Paul, we look at Paul, he was just doing this one-on-one -on -one as a brother. But look what we have. We have each other. We have other brothers. We have other sisters. We have young. We have old. And we have people who are banded together that we can be a community, a faith community that can strengthen one another. Even when times are perilous in the world, even when times are fearful in our own lives, that we can look to one another and say that we are not alone. We have each other. We have our faith. We have our gifts. We, have, we, we can put these in operation that we can serve and bless one another and as we are serving and blessing one another we are witness to those that are unsaved those that are unsaved that are, that are on the outside looking in and saying well how can I be a part of a community that is like this by receiving salvation by repenting of your sins by turning to God with saving faith Romans 10 and 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So while we're busy, busy serving one another, uh, encouraging one another, praying for one another, uh, encouraging one another to use each other's gifts, it doesn't just start in the, on the inside in, in the house of God, but then we, they, we take this on the outside. We let the world see how we love one another. We let the world see that, yes, you may hear so many different crazy things going on about the church, but we here, Congress Heights Community Church, we are about serving the name of Jesus Christ, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ, doing what he has called us to do by teaching and preaching the gospel, by being a blessing to one another, by being a blessing to our community, that we're not in this for what we can get, but we're in this because we have already received from God, and we want to give out what God has given us. So in times of fear, church, we can lean on one another. Because that's what God has put us together for. But then as we're leaning on one another, we can remind each other that what you have, what God has put inside of you, what the gift that God has placed inside of you, it's a good gift to be used for his glory. So one, you're not only you're not alone, do we have each other, 
But you, brother, you, sister, you have power. You have strength. You have love. You have control, self-control. Not because of anything you have done. Not because of your own strength or your own might. But because this is what God has gifted inside of you. Let us pray. Precious and all-wise God, we give your name all the praise, all the glory, and all of the honor. And Lord, we're just so grateful for you once again just teaching us and showing us your word. That even though times may be uncertain, we turn on the news and we see terrible news and we hear terrible news. Sometimes we can look across the street and we see things that are just mind-boggling. And sometimes we can open the door to our very own homes and we deal with circumstances and situations that seem so heavy. But thanks be to God that we are not alone, that we have you, a good father who gives good gifts. And one of the most beautiful gifts that you have given us is the gift of one another, that we have each other, that we could strengthen and encourage one another. We're just so grateful, Lord, for you and your spirit dwelling in, each, in, dwelling in our brothers and sisters. And thank you, Lord, for your spirit dwelling in us so that we can, eat in times of uncertainty, we can lean on our own faith to strengthen ourselves and then strengthen someone else. We give your name all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.